I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Bobby Brown is an American professional makeup artist, author, and the founder of Bobby Brown Cosmetics. In 1991, Brown first created 10 neutral shade lipsticks, and Bobby Brown went on to become one of the leading cosmetic brands in America. In 2012, Bobby sold 21 million units of product each year, or 2,400 per hour, or 40 per minute. Bobby Brown Cosmetics made up roughly 10% of all revenue of Estee Lauder companies. She's written nine books about beauty and wellness. After leaving Bobby Brown Cosmetics in 2016, 25 years later, she launched Beauty Evolution. Brown also started a line of beauty-inspired wellness products and Jones Road Cosmetics. She curates an editorial website, Just Bobby, and she and her husband reimagined The George, a 32-room boutique hotel located in Montclair, New Jersey. Bobby, welcome in my chair. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to talk to you. I heard you're in Florida. I am. My husband and I just moved into a home in Florida for our winters. He is a guy that needs the sunshine and likes to Uh play golf. So I am, I have lights set up. I'm zooming. I'm right now. My table is a Casper uh, box with, with a mattress inside because the bed didn't come. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being very flexible because I don't have a choice. Right. No, I mean, I think everybody is just kind of doing what they can and adapting. Right. And, and you know what? It's not about being perfect. For so many years, we all thought we had to be a certain way. We had to be quote unquote professional. We had to be this. And you know what? We're all people and humans and life gets in the way. So I find it a little bit freeing to be able to say this is kind of comical. Mm-hmm. Do you find it easier to navigate a company that I'm assuming is considerably smaller than what you where you worked before, which was a you know big international global beauty brand. Is it is it it's, easier to navigate during the pandemic or you Oh my God, it's not even close. The things that we are able to do having a small uh, team and you know and also by me being in charge and saying do this, it just it's like night and day. I mean one great example is our number one selling product of Jones Road is called Dusty Rose Miracle Balm. And we sold out of it in three weeks. And there was a, you know, I don't know, someone said there was a 10,000 person waiting list, whatever, it was huge. And we weren't going to get it back in three or so months. Someone called me and said, we found 2,500 or 3,000 sitting in the warehouse, but there's no boxes. We'll order boxes. It'll take us a month or six weeks. I said, forget about it. Go get sandwich bags, get the the waxy paper sandwich bags, some neon tape. Let's put the ingredients on a card. And we literally sold out in one day by just going on social media saying we're back in stock. I don't think anyone noticed or cared there was no box. Or felt lucky that they got like, you know, the product that Bobby Brown put in a bag and sent to them. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, in a big company, there's teams of people and people saying no to everything. That's what uh-huh. big companies do. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. This team, no, you can't do that. I'm always like, why not? <laughs> so I wanted to go back and ask you, because in the ni- early 90s, when you came out with you know your famous 10 lipstick shades, there was a certain time in the, in the 90s where makeup artist brands were the rage and larger conglomerates or beauty brands were buying them up. Um, you had Francois Nars, you had Laura Mercier, later Kevin O'Quinn. Was that moment in the air? And did you feel like you had to seize the moment and 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 be a part of it? Well, my the sale of Bobby Brown Cosmetics was way before those. So when when we launched Ten Lipsticks, you know that was a a, a, a big big you know uh, test, and it was you know a, a success. We launched Ten Lipsticks at Bergdorf's. And within four years, we had full, almost full line, not quite, but a pretty full line. We were the number one line at Neiman's and Bergdorf's. And it was my husband and myself and another couple. And Estee Lauder called. And there, there weren't the other companies yet. 
And Mac was actually um, the first company that Lauder bought. So I think Lauder bought half of Mac and then they bought the other half. So when we sold, it was after four years of being in business. I stayed with SD Lauder for 22 years. But, um, you know, we weren't for sale, but it was just the right people really? at the right time. Yeah, no, we were so not it wasn't like nowadays when people create a brand and say, okay, this is how we're going to build it out. We're going to, you know, put this amount of money and get in this many doors and then sell to a Lauder or a L'Oreal. You were just doing it and kind of navigating your way through and not expecting that you were going to be acquired. Well, I was navigating my way through. I don't even think I knew the word navigating. I was just figuring it out, doing things. I was, you know... In my early 30s, married, moved to the suburbs of Montclair, New Jersey, had my first baby and didn't want to travel. I was just not in the mood to get on airplanes and do you know trips anymore because that's what I'd been doing for over a decade. So I got married, got pregnant, and I had an idea to do a lipstick. Met a chemist, did a shoot, made a lipstick, made 10 lipsticks, started selling them out of my house, met someone at a party at Bergdorf, pitched it, she took it. We launched a Bergdorf and I had no clue what I was doing. I had no clue. I didn't know what PR was, what marketing was. I didn't even know what product development was. I just Did know, anybody ladies, in your crew of the four of you have a clue? Well, we started the company with another couple that we were friends with, new friends at the time. And the wife was at a PR agency. She had never done this before. I was a makeup artist. My husband, you know, a businessman, and her husband was actually um, part of Benetton Cosmetics. I'm sure you didn't even know they had cosmetics. It was I did not. A, yeah, it wasn't a great line, and you know, he just was there. He was a, an American businessman that that knew that knew how to run a business. So the four of us got together. So you know, our partner did PR and I did product development. I talked to the press. I, you know, I quickly figured things out. I was also commuting back and forth to the city. And when we sold the company to Estee Lauder, I had two kids. So I, you know, navigating, trying to figure it out. My husband was, went to law school. I had these, you know, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And I was like, I had no idea. I was still doing, you know, catalogs to to make to save money to make money and we were just figuring it out i have no clue what i was doing do you think it's important because i'm running into this problem too is that i know what i'm good at and i'm not good at everything on the the other side of the of a business like even with the podcast it's like i like doing the creative part i love talking to people i don't want to do marketing or you know going after brands for, for things. Do you think it's really important that you had that kind of um, quad of the artist, the businessman, the marketing? Was that a part of the the magic sauce that honestly, made Bobby Brown Cosmetics? Yeah. Honestly, it was a great start for sure. <clears throat> yeah, it, was a, it was a great start for me personally. My husband was there to support me because I'm not a businesswoman. I mean, I sure know a lot now, but I knew nothing then. And, you know, it was a relationship with our partners that wasn't the greatest. You know, it quickly oh. became a little bit intense. And when we sold the company, it wasn't good at all, at all. So, you know, that's a whole nother story. And, you know, we- Were you guys we, equal partners? We were equal partners. We started in the beginning. Okay. As I said, we knew nothing. My husband said, let's just go 50-50. I'm like, okay. I mean, honestly, right. I'm like, okay. And, you know, I never thought about all of these things. And we never started the company to sell it. There was never a thought to sell it. Can because, I ask you how yeah. much your initial investment was into the company? Yes. And only because I have a very bad memory. It was either $5,000 a couple, or I think, it, but my husband says 10,000. So I'll go with my husband. We started with wow. $20,000. We never took an investment. My father begged, <laughs> you know, never took an investment. And I just launched another company without investors. So I'm very old fashioned and I believe in making a profit. 
And I believe yeah. in not spending more than you have. And I also believe in not doing more than you can handle. So let me ask you something, because you started with a $20,000 investment. And I don't expect you to comment on this, but I've heard then this is in 1995, I believe you 1994. sold. 1994. Yeah. 1994. Sorry, you sold reportedly, allegedly, all of that for seven around 75 million dollars. Yeah, that's actually <clears throat> that number is actually not accurate. It's somewhere over a hundred because oh. because you know, part of the sales was tied to percentage of international and, you know, all those kind of things that, you know, my husband and, um, you know, our partner at the time, they negotiated. So no one had done a deal like this ever, right? I don't know, Mac. I mean, Mac did a deal. I don't know what it was. You know, I don't know what it was. But But it seems like you sent the bet, you set a benchmark and probably sent, uh, you know, shocks through the industry. Wow. This woman started a line four years later and now, um, you know, figuratively overnight, you're a multimillionaire. Um, yeah, it was quite, you know, interesting on so many levels and, um, you know, it was certainly more money than I, you know, knew what to do with. And again, luckily I have my husband who's this incredible businessman. So, uh, Bobby, do you remember waking up in the morning so around that time and going, holy shit, I'm, I'm going to, I don't, I'm okay. I have enough money now. I'm going to be okay for my life and don't have to worry about it. You know, I wasn't worried about it before I was, you know, able to make a decent amount of money being a freelance artist. My husband was a real estate developer who made enough money. Like we would have been fine. We would have, you know, we're both pretty simple people. We would have lived, you know, very happy, you know, affluent life. Um, and you know, when we sold the company, we bought floor seats to the nets. We did not move. We stayed in our house. I don't even think we bought a new car. We were happy with, I think we had a sob at the time and, you know, we ended up really sitting down and saying, okay, what can we do? So we bought the, you know, floor seats at the nets and we told our brothers and sisters that we are going to send their kids to college. So that was, that was the immediate thing that happened. And, you know, things get complicated. I'm not going to lie. Things get complicated. There's always other family members and things, but I've never really like kind of dwelled on, on it before and kind of, you know, I certainly don't. You're not motivated by money. I'm not. I'm motivated by challenge. I'm, you know, I, I, you know, I grew up comfortable you know, we were upper middle class, you know, my dad was a, an attorney. So we, we had, you know, whatever, there wasn't much I couldn't get, you know, I wanted new shoes, I was able to get new shoes. So my 16th birthday, he bought me a yellow Camaro. Um, mm-hmm. So we were, we I know were a lot of people like that, though, not who I grew up with, but I, I certainly I met at Boston University who grew up, you know, with means and wouldn't be motivated to work like you. They still you know, have, my, you know, their yeah. parents paid for their condo when they moved to New York City right. in Murray Hill. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's something about you that that is still at this point in your life starting new projects and working. I'm really competitive. And I'm also, I don't know, in a weird way, I think I'm making up for lost time. I, I could speak about myself, but I know it's true for most makeup artists. I wasn't a great student. My teachers, you know, pretty much never saw that I would be, you know, anything. And I don't think my parents even realized that, you know, that I had abilities. So I've kind of shown everybody, including myself, that I could do this. I've got this. And, you know, I'm, I'm amazed at, you know, some of the things I've done and not everything has been successful. But I also, you know... I also just know that I have this drive to create things, not just from an artistry way, but from a a business way. And I see things through this, you know, what's possible lens for myself and for other people too. Did you come pre-wired like that? 
I don't know. Who knows? I mean, I must have, but I didn't, you know, I was a late meaning you didn't. Do you have, did you always believe in yourself that you're going to, I'm going to show you and never had the opposite end of the coin, which is I'm not good enough self-doubt? No, I had total, I'm not good enough. And you okay. know, I felt bad that I wasn't, you know, I mean, look, I got, I got an A in some classes. I got B's in some classes. I got mostly C's and I got D's in math. <laughs> I mean, D's in math and science. So I got A's in art and mm-hmm. A's in history if there was a teacher who was a creative, you know, uh, educator. So I, you know, I was okay. I had to work hard. I was always concerned with my social life more than my school. I was not concerned where I was going to college, but I also had a store in the basement with my friends and I was, you know, making jewelry to sell. So I think I've always been entrepreneurial and I think it has a lot to do with watching my grandfather who came, you know, here from Russia and became Cadillac Sam. He had a car dealership and he was always like working on his marketing material. We would mail it for him. And I just would watch him treat people in just this nice, normal, you know, way. You know, I'm also from Chicago, which is the middle of the country. And even though, um, it's a city in the suburbs. It's still most of the people are are pretty nice, and they are nice. Know, it, it, is it important for you to work with nice people? Oh my god, it's more important than ever. You know, I mean, really, I sometimes wonder when you know when you go to LA and everyone's so slow, and I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'd rather you make my coffee really quickly and be rude. <laughs> I'm like, that's when you know you're a New Yorker. It's like I don't right. even care if you're nasty. Just hurry right. up. But no, I'm, yeah. I'm joking. Um, would you? No, it's, no like, but there's you, a big no. But there's I have no attention. Okay, I have very, very small attention span. If I want something, I want it now. But if I'm not, you know, getting it, it's you know, I'll be frustrated. But I'm not gonna, you know. I also, I also understand that people that you're in front of, everyone's going through something, and the person behind the counter that's making you coffee, by the way, they wish it, they wish that they were the ones buying the coffee. And I understand, you know, everyone's got a story. So I just, I think I just grew up watching my mother in particular, her friends. I'm telling you, my mother's friends were the ones that worked in the grocery store, the gas station, the lady behind the, you know, the sock counter at Carson Perry Scott. Like those were her people, you know, not the people at the golf club or people at the, you know, whatever you know, right. out, whatever other suburban women. So I get it. And those are my people. I like nice, normal, down to earth people. So if you're, if Jones road got offered the, the general operations person at amazing price who built up XYZ cosmetics that sold for $3 billion, but they are just a nasty, nasty person. What would you do? Would you rather hire someone else or would you put up with it because of oh, their I'm, talent? It's not even, it's not even like, first of all, I'm not selling Jones Road. Um, okay. I, I, I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm not looking. I look, I, it's, it's, I didn't think it was going to be as gangbusters as it is. And honestly, it's like ridiculous amount of growth already. I would not even entertain working with anyone uh, on a day-to-day basis. I don't care what they're great at um, if they are not a nice person. And you yeah. know, life is short and it goes really quickly. And, you know, I've, I've worked with people that, you know, I put up with people when I was part of a big company because there's a lot of people that were not nice and grateful okay. I don't have that anymore. I want to ask you, the, the, the thing I'm dying to know from you is, there have been a lot of acquisitions by big conglomerate, big, um, you know, Estee Lauder type companies, Shiseido, L'Oreal, they buy, have bought smaller brands. I can't think of any other person except for you where the, per, where the artist who sold their brand stayed on successfully. Mm-hmm. They usually always end up getting fired or quit and it's always acrimonious. What mm-hmm. is it about you? that you were able to not only transition to to this big corporation. I don't think people realize how big it is. And then also be there for 22 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how did you, how were you able to do that? And so many other I could name, but won't. Right. Were, were not. 
Well, in the beginning, it was magic. It was the Water family. It's before they went public. And it was basically Leonard Lauder, who was the first person that called me to tell me that he was interested. And the person I fell in love with and the person that supported me on, you know, and everything. He understood why things mattered to me. He understood, you know, why I thought this particular thing would make a difference. He, he understood how it all went together. He was probably the only person that ever really understood me because, you know, other people would either put up with me because we were doing well, roll, rolled their eyes, and other people fought with me. And, you know, as the company grew, I mean, when I left Bobby Brown Cosmetics, it was a billion-dollar brand. So hopefully somewhere my teachers that gave me D's in math, you know, could, could, mm -hmm. uh, could know this fact. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I just I learned so much in the beginning, and I was a sponge. And I would, you know, be invited to the greatest parties and the greatest things. And it just was new, and it was, like, so exciting. And then things change. Like things don't stay the same in life. So, you know, the years go on and things grow more and there's more people and there's other people leading the big corporation. And all of a sudden it becomes like literally like a conglomerate and everything became not just, okay, Bobby, it was a fight. And I was very, very, you know, strong in what I believed in. And, you know, it was not easy towards the end, the last couple of years, you know, luckily I have an amazing chiropractor that helps emotionally get rid of angst. So I didn't even go to therapy, but I had a, you know, I had to kind of clean out my, my brain a bit. And, um, but you also had a great contract, right? I, I, it's hard to imagine that your name is Bobby Brown. Your, your name's on the packaging. You're the face of the brand. You have I believe creative control over the brand, which is, I don't think a lot of people get once they sell well, their company. I did. I did have it. Um, I was the chief creative, I was the chief creative officer. And I only chose that because before my card said I was the CEO because we had to make cards and someone called me and said, what do you want? What, what do you want your title to be? I'm like, I don't know. How about CEO? They're like, okay. I, you know, I had no idea what it meant, hmm. you know, when I was, first sold the company. So in the beginning, I was the CEO. It was in the press. And one day somebody high up called and you can't be the CEO. Estee Lauder was one CEO. I'm like, all right, fine. So I became the CCO, chief creative officer. But, you know, it, I went to work every day and I woke up every day thinking it was my company, even though I sold it. You know, I, right. I, I literally... So who, every could, who could tell you what to do if it's your name and your company, even though you sold it? Well, how how come it, what how come you don't have to negotiate anything? Well, I in the beginning when I had the you know the president I chose when I had you know all, my whole team, but you know the bigger things get, you have to let go of some things. You cannot micromanage everything, and you know people started getting hired without me saying yes or no. You know, and that's when things started to fall apart. So why do you think so many other brands don't – so many other founders uh, don't succeed when they well, get bought by a brand, and you did? Well, I think a few things. I think there were always, especially in the beginning, people that saw my value, saw what I added. And then I think it, towards the end, they were afraid probably, oh, my God, what would happen if she left? <laughs> you know. And then until it was you know, the very end when it's like we don't care anymore – um, and, uh, I, you know, I think honestly, I, I could sit there and I could listen to people telling me what they think or what they believe or no, more important, what they know. And if I don't agree with it, I just say, I don't agree with it. That's not right. And, you know, I've, I've heard over board meetings, <gasps> you know, people like kind of shrieking, like, oh my God, Bobby just told the CEO that she doesn't agree. I, I'm sorry. I didn't agree. And when people would talk about all these things, I'd be like, wait, what you're really trying to say is we need to sell more product to more people. Like, like I just, the corporate terms and, you know, it's easy for people to sound really smart. I don't have the patience. I'm like, you know, I'm very impatient and I like to say what's on my mind and I like to just have a Can discussion. You be off? Do you think some people would describe you as off-putting then? 
I'm sure. I mean, I don't think I ever kind of, you know, acted like, you know, Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> um, you know, I might have mm-hmm. had one moment in my career where I kind of lost it. And, you know, I, that, you know, I want to deal with that. Uh, I lost it and I kind of freaked out on my team because of many different things. But I don't think many people would would mm-hmm. say that, you know, but... Did you apologize? Would... Oh, yes. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, of course. And, you know, I, I honestly, I apologize for my actions, but I, I, you know, asked for an apology because what happened wasn't what was supposed to happen and it put me in a bad situation. So it was a dumb, stupid thing, but... Did you ever regret because you only had the brand as your own or with, you know, a a part, your partners for four years? Did you ever think, gosh, I've missed out on this development of, of the brand or this, was there any cost to selling, uh, to a, to a company? No, because what I got from it, you know, what Leonard Lauder said to me, he looked me in the eye and he said, what if I promise you complete autonomy? I didn't know what autonomy was. Um, complete autonomy and we will help you grow the brand and we will do the things that you're, you can't or don't want to do. And, uh, you know, I, I cared about everything I cared about and I didn't care about the other things. You know, I was I'm not a logistics person. I'm not a, you know, operations person. I'm certainly not HR. I just want to be in charge of all the things that really matter to me. So that was, you know, most of the time it worked out fine. So what do you think you had to work on the most to put on your business cap and go into work every day that you didn't possess? Um, patience for sure. And probably I was probably not as inclusive as, you know, HR corporate might've wanted. In other words, I just, I just need people around me that are my team and posse and, and that understand having a conversation and getting things done. And when there's layers and layers and layers, I don't operate well that way. I don't think anyone does. And, um, you know, I, I, I had to deal with it. I had to figure out how to be political. I'm not a political person. You know, I just, I am, I am really care about, my customer because they're people. I care about people. I really care about the product. And, you know, I, I really Do you have want- a tip that you would tell people for how to get what you want with in a, in an effective way in that kind well, of environment? Sure. Well, a, you have to calm down and not be reactive. I used to sit in the meetings and I used to watch the men in their suits, sit back in their chair And when they got the floor, they started speaking slowly. And then I would watch the women who were smart, powerful women sitting on the edge of their chair, interrupting when people were talking and sounding not as like in control. And I noticed Mm. that early on. So, you know, luckily, you know, for most of my career, when I needed to speak, you know, I waited and then I spoke. And I was listened to. So I, but I watched the other women and I would, you know, tell them later, like, calm down, breathe. You know, you see the red on the cheeks and it's like, guys, calm down, (laughs) you know, breathe. And, um, you know, and, and I don't know, you just, it's so important to be nice. You can get what you want by being honest, truthful, and nice. It's not complicated. Really? Yeah, no. I mean, it's no. What do you mean, really? No, it's not complicated. It's like it's. I don't know. Some some of it seems counterintuitive. If I could say, I I guess the nice part's the key because you can be honest and truthful. I'd say a lot of things that that I would probably never work again. Right. (laughs) You know. But there's a way, okay? Like some of the stuff I say, like that my kids hear me say. I mean, they just look at me and they're like, "Mom." You know, I'm, I have a, a very dry sense of humor and I, you know, things that used to be acceptable are not anymore. You know, so I say things in front of my kids where they just shake their head and like, are you kidding me? But I can't do that anymore in public. So, you know, our, our world has changed. And, you know, by me being funny, I might be insulting people. So I don't do that. 
in oh, public. Oh, I see. Yeah. You know, right. there's there's things that were were politically okay, and there's now they're not. So you just don't do that. But I, I don't know. I just I just think, especially now, it's easy for me to say because I've been out of that company for five and a half years. October will be six years. I have grown a lot. I have realized a lot, and I you know I started. A few companies. I'm not involved in the wellness brand anymore. I walked away from it last September. So that's okay. done. Um, and it was very interesting because it was a brand that was at Walmart and QVC. And, you know, I was someone that launched brands at Bergdorf and, you know, eventually went to Neiman. So very different. I got the experience. And now Jones Road was launched the day my 25 year non compete was up. So when I left the brand, uh, I had four and a half years left. That seemed like an eternity. And it was. And that's why I launched the wellness brand. And that's why I did the hotel. I did a shop at Lord and Taylor. You know, I just, I need to be busy and I need to, to try things that. Do you think non competes are fair? Well, mine certainly was not because it was a 25 year one. And I don't even think they're legal, if you want to know the truth, anymore. But I, you know, we signed it when we sold the company. I must have been 34-ish when we sold the company, 34, 36, something like that. And, I, you know, I counted on my fingers when my husband said they want you to sign a 25-year non-compete. And I'm like, huh, I'm not going to want to work in my 60s. Well, guess what? I launched this beauty brand at 63. So, you know. Okay. I've had friends who were had non-competes, not in cosmetics, but in other design areas. And it's like, you can't leave your job because you, the only thing you know how to do is in that field and no one can hire you. Well, there's, that's not really true. Most non-competes come with, they could get another job and the company that, that gave them the non-compete could either pay them not to work or they have to release them. So, right. you know, I, it's not like I got a, another, you know, I was surprised. I thought I was going to get a call from some big company that would be, okay, come over to us and fix us. You know, not that I would have, you know, done well or been happy, but I'm like, come on. No one called me to say, can you do this? I, I did get one offer from a, you know, a, a financial firm for me to fix Avon, which thank God it ended up not happening because that would have been a, a nightmare for me. What, what do you do when, I mean, you had those years when, and I don't know, maybe Bobby Brown never had uh, harder times, but I have to imagine after 2008, after, you know, the economy, it must kind of follow certain economic trends. What do you do when it, it when you're not selling, you know, 40 units a minute? <laughs> um, I don't mind those times. Okay. And I'll tell you why. And, you know, of course, after 9-11, you know, after the, you know, different downturns. Yes. What I do is get in a room with whoever the, you know, the top players are and say, okay, let's look at everything. What's happening. You know, and so, and, and this is interesting to me. Sometimes the CFO would come to me and say, all right, we just launched that new formula, but let me show you what happened. We sold, you know, good amount of it, but it, it cannibalized all the regular formulas, the other formulas. And, you know, we're going to be $5 million short of our numbers, you know? And I said to him, wow, you know, we worked, we didn't have to do this. We worked so hard and it was, you know, and it, it, it didn't work. So then I said, okay. And he said, let me explain to you. One of your, one of our um, bronzers at the time was doing a million dollars a year. I said, well, then I'll give you four new colors. So I did, we got, I made four new colors and we launched it and we made the numbers. So, so that I, you could keep the other product product that you were passing. No, on. I didn't care about the other product. I wanted to help. Oh. I wanted to help make the numbers because no one wants to, you know, sit in front of a, you know, the corporation and say, yeah, we're down 20%. And, you know, and if we were down, I want to understand why. Like there's all these reasons. Okay. Something's not working. Let's, Go figure this out. I love those times, you know, like, okay, let's spend less money. Let's stop hiring those people that are coming in to consult. Let's stop doing this. 
let me wrap my arms around my my artists. You know, to me, I believe that the company was successful because my artists, my beauty team, as I called them, would travel the globe and kind of you know teach everyone the Bobby Brown <clears throat> method and, and philosophy. We we would powwow and say, okay, what can we do? How are we? And these guys would go do it. Like that was my secret. Because, you know, no offense, people with, you know, big MBAs and, you know, like 30 years experience, they can't figure those things out. Or they could be working in any industry. It's not necessarily like it has to be beauty. They don't have an attachment to that specific genre. Right. But, 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 you know, for me, it's about people. People make the difference. And that that was... What about toxic sales, which I think of as... Okay, we brought in 10 million last month. Now, as a corporation looking at it, if you don't bring in 10 million next month, then you're down. Yes. And then in the is, next month, you have to bring in another 10 million. And at some point, where are you pulling these products? And that's why we you go into uh, look at a line or a department store and it's new products every, you know, the trends are like happening at a faster rate and you have nine different versions of the same eyeshadow. And at some point, doesn't it just all get so desaturated that you're, that actually you're not delivering what you set out to do because you're answering to the numbers. Well, what you're missing here is when you look at what is selling and what isn't, it's usually the core products that sell the most. And the core products are the ones that people rebuy and rebuy the bone eyeshadow, the taupe eyeshadow, sand concealer. So you make sure that, you know, you order enough of those so that will help, you know, keep the numbers going. And the new things are, should just be a small percent. And, um, you know, but I, I guess I, what I'm getting at is not even per the product, but doesn't something, isn't there an adverse reaction to focus once you have a board of directors and a share price and that you, and that everything becomes led uh, at least for those people, by the bottom line. Well, I like growth. You know, I I I, I I'm very competitive with myself okay. and with others. So no, I like. I understand that you have to grow, but I also understand that you know you need things that are sustainable, and you need a you know a, a business plan and a strategy that's sustainable. So you know, I also knew that every single season you know, the palettes, whatever we would create, uh, you know, would have to have a story behind it. I'd use them at fashion week. I'd call it something. I would give recipes and inspiration, but basically in the palette are beautiful, you know, wearable browns and taupes and colors. Like it wasn't like trendy, like red eyeshadow or orange eyeshadow. that's popular. That was so not you as customer. the person could put your shoulder behind it and say, this is, I believe in it, even though, you know, it's something new, it's something it's on brand. Yes. It's gotta be, Um, but but it's gotta be not just on brand. It's gotta be interesting and different. So it's not the same. And sometimes it's a packaging change. Other times it's, you know, an adaptation of the colors. And my inspiration was always Ralph Lauren. I mean, how could Ralph Lauren, still be in business after all these years when he basically, you know, started the preppy style and okay. Well, cause there was always a story. There's always adaptations. There's things. So that was my, that was my role model for, for the mm-hmm. makeup. You also came out with, or at least one of the very first few brands that focused on yellow based foundation and skin tones and also a range of shades. So right now you can't really launch a brand in this climate without at least I would imagine minimum of 25 shades. Probably it's more than that and you would know. But you did it in a time when it wasn't really done. Maybe Mac was probably doing that too, but you were definitely a part of that. Did did people warn you against having the deeper shades because they wouldn't sell? No, no. So as a makeup artist, I understood that whatever woman sits in my chair, you know, whatever model would come to a shoot, I needed colors for that. So my personal kit 
had to, you know, work with someone who a model from Nigeria or a model from China. So I needed to have the range. Of course, my whatever I put out in the world had to do the same thing. So no one ever said, don't do it, don't do it. No one ever questioned me because back then no one questioned me for anything. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. And, you know, people around me understood me and I educated them and I taught them. What started to happen was, you know, some of the teams, whether it's, I don't know if it was marketing, we'd have these meetings called their disco meetings. You know, what are we going to discontinue? And they would make disco, suggest, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I should have had disco music. But they're called the disco meeting. And it was Just always, fun. yeah, and I always brought my makeup artist with me. They were not invited, but I brought my beauty team with me because I knew I needed backup. And they were the ones that are actually in the store. So they understand it, you know, where the marketing people only see the numbers. And so, the you know, the majority of suggestions to disco were colors for dark skin. So besides those, they were all, you know, when you put out a range, it's like, you know, boned, taupe, mahogany, rich brown. You know, then you're like, all right, a little bit of a oh, nice wine for purple, a little bit of this. And then there was a couple colors to round out everything. You know, everyone was always begging and asking for greens and purple. So I'd put them out. They never sold. So, you know, if there was two greens, we would discontinue one of them. If there was two purples, we would discontinue the, you know, the slower moving one. And those mm -hmm. would go in the hopper, by the way. If we ever need something for QVC or a one-off, then we had them. So that, you know, and but again, for that skin was, tone, But yeah. for skin tone, Bobby, it's a lot, it, there's a deeper message. Mm -hmm. Than just getting rid of a purple eyeshadow, it's that right. you no 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 I was going to go of of inclusion right right yeah so did well, it end up being profitable to include because I think that's the thing that a lot of brands miss out on is that not only is it the right thing to do that you want everybody to feel welcome I think if it's done correctly it's actually profitable because every woman needs makeup or the ones who do want it you know well all right so I, in these meetings they would also then go to the, you know, the colors that were for darker skin and say, these all have to go. And I would say, no, because a woman of color can't buy a blush if there's not that dark plum blush. And certainly these foundations, you know, number 24 and 25, no, you can't discontinue them. Were they profitable? Did they, you know, were they always the bottom of the, of the list? Always, but it's just tough. Not everything is going to be profitable, but you can't have a full brand and range without it. And I would turn to the marketing people and I'd say, okay, guys, you want to make these colors more profitable? We never even use profitable. You want to make these colors sell? Go market to black customers. You know, get me in front of, you know, the Jack and Jill group. Get me, you know, I'll do something with Essence. Like, guys, there's a way to get more you know, involved in making this inclusive as I believe it is. Instead of just saying it's not selling, let's get rid of it and come right. out with another, right. you know, foundation shade. Right. Um, I have a question from um, a listener that I would love to, to read to you. It's from uh, Genemite. What a great name. Um, and she says, has Bobby ever experienced quote imposter syndrome? And if so, how did you get through it? Um, I don't think imposter syndrome, like I never thought I was a fake, but I think I mostly experience like, holy shit syndrome. Like, oh my God, I am sitting here doing this. Like, that's so cool. I mean, mm -hmm. probably all the time. And how did I get through it? I was nervous and, you know, and anxious and just had to calm down and had to just you know, I, I learned early on, I, if I try to be something I'm not, it's not going to work. It's not going to be comfortable for me. So I might as well get comfortable and be who I am. And that was, you know, on panels, on boards, on live TV, you know, news programs, you know, and you just kind of figure it out. I was once on uh, CNBC. On, I was supposed to go on, and this is, a lot, this is live, and talk about but, you know, being an, entre being an entrepreneur, being a founder, starting a business. Okay, easy. And the anchor turns to me, you know, which they said live. And she said, Bobby, what do you think of crude oil prices? 
And I looked at her and I looked at my PR people who turned green and they were like, what? They weren't supposed to ask that. And I had no idea what crude oil was. And I said, you know, Maria, when things are tough, women still buy makeup. And, and it worked. I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, so I learned that you just kind of, it's called emotional intelligence. You just kind of figure it out and get on with it. Do you think you have a lot of emotional intelligence because of um, ADD? Yes, because I don't have, you know, other kind of intelligence, you know? I'm, right. I do. T- I, 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 I think so too, for me. Yeah. But that's why I said most makeup artists are, you know, I always say my people, you know, makeup artists are my people because, you know, we were not the kids that were acing, you know, our a- ACT and SATs. No. Like we just weren't. So, um, yeah, I think I, I really do think like, look, I've written nine books. I don't know how to type. And I realized, I realized after the first couple books, because it was torture working with the writer and working on a thing and making it like, you know, writing it out. And I realized, uh-uh, I need to go into the studio. I need to shoot the chapters and then I'm going to take the pictures and write to the pictures. And that's what I did for about six or seven of the books. I want to ask you, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way. Why would you want to start a brand now? You had one of the most successful sales of a brand. You had one of the most successful American cosmetics brand. You did it for 25 years. You know the ins and outs of the industry. Why on earth would you not want to just, you know, drink pina coladas and or or not do makeup and start do something else? What is it about um, Jones Road that made you want to do this again? First of all, I am so incredibly grateful that I launched this brand that I just, you know, literally turned out of the lights uh, one week before the presidential election in the middle of Me Too and COVID. I just did it. And, you know, truthfully, I just missed being in the beauty industry. I missed, and not that I wanted to do the same thing again. I did not. You know, what had really transpired since I left the brand is the, the DTC companies, you know, the direct-to-consumer, the, you know, the, the clear, open, authentic marketing, just all these things. You know, the clean movement, the less makeup movement, the, you know, fresher movement. And I just thought, wow, you know, I don't really love any of the products on the market. I would like to see if it's possible to make things that I think are easier that, that I need for my kit and for my everyday face. And I did, Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize, you know, what was going to happen. I mean, our business, it's been not, you know, October, uh, last October was a year. So now it's like a year and a half. Our business has exploded. And I mean, it's like no one could believe it. We're keeping up as much as we can. We have constantly dealing with out of stocks and back in stocks. And it's just really exciting for me. And, um, you know, I love creating products. I can't wait to show you all the cool stuff that's coming out. That's not just for getting people's attention. It's honestly for like, oh my God, this is incredible. I mean, we have a, a launch in April that is a, I'm calling it a complexion product. It's not a foundation. It's not a tinted moisturizer. You put it on and you and you say, what the F? And so we're naming this, this product, um, what the foundation. <laughs> and hmm. it's just, it's like, and you know what? That's what we were calling it. No one had it. So it's like a cool name. And it's this cool product that you put on and you look in the mirror. I'm like, oh my God. I look like I have nothing on my skin and look at, look at how much better it looks. It's bizarre. How different is it starting a brand today with influencers, celebrities all have brands. It seems like anybody who's worn makeup is qualified to Mm -hmm. have a brand. Um, The authorities on beauty are not the authorities that we knew before. How different is it starting a brand now versus when you did? Oh my God. It's totally different. It's completely different. And it's different than it was five years ago. It's different than it was 10 years ago. 
I mean, we do not, you know, pay big money for influencers. We don't, you know, we, we have different kind of, you know, strategies, but, you know, I, there's so much opportunity. I mean, TikTok for us is explosive. That is like, that has quadrupled our business when I got on TikTok. You know, which was January. That was. And what do you incredible. do when you go on there? You just you show videos of putting makeup on, and that and it goes I, you viral. You know what? I I basically just turn on the phone, and I you know I look for good lights from the first, and then I I think about what I want to say, and sometimes it's about this is how you line your eyes, this is how you pick a foundation, this is how you put on blush. Other time it's about confidence. It's about feeling good in your skin. It's things I, things that are, you know, authentic to me as a person and a brand. And, you know, I, I found a very happy surprise that women of a certain age are on TikTok and they've been dying, you know, for digestible content that is inspiring and empowering. And you don't uh, you don't get bogged down by you were saying the fresher makeup, but the other side of the Instagram YouTube makeup that doesn't uh, that's not a bummer for you that you have to make products for that. I don't have to. Who said I do? I don't make products for that. Did you did you feel that pressure when you were at a, at a at Bobby Brown in the end? No, not for that. I mean, you know, there was. Look, there makeup forever. There was Mac. There was plenty for people to choose. They didn't go to Bobby Brown, you know, people that wanted that kind of look. People, I do mm-hmm. think that you know, people come to Jones Road for a very different effect than they get at Bobby Brown. It's it's not the same aesthetic of a company, you know. Since I'm not there, it you know, it does not look like me. I don't have an emotional attachment to it anymore. It. It's, you know, it's not, and, and, you know, I wish them well, and that's fine. Jones Road is like, for me, it's so much about what I believe in now, what I believe beautiful is, but I know that everyone doesn't agree. People have different, you know, aesthetics, different tastes. People want different things. People, some people like fuller coverage. Some people like more color, but there's, it's a big world and there's enough customers for everybody. I don't need to be everything to everybody. Um, what I am is enough for people, you know, to be able to look like they want to look in a, in a newer way. I love that. I think that's a part of wisdom and like getting older Yeah, is realizing that you are enough in what you do and people are going to take it or leave it and being okay with that. Yeah. And you know what, if it wasn't working, if it didn't work, then I might be different, but it is working. And people, you know, are saying, Oh my God, I didn't realize I could look so good with only one thing on my face. Bobby, I wanted to ask you about products. I'm uh, starting a new segment on this show and actually you're the first person. Um, I wanted to ask if you had a product you could recommend that's tried and true that you have used for a long time and always have it around or in your kit or recommend to women. And then on the flip side, something new that you've discovered that you think is just, you know, cool and are excited about. Mm-hmm. Well, it's weird because I think I can, they're both the same, but I have discovered and I have been using and I find it like the greatest, greatest product. I, I only, you know, give a warning. It's very expensive. Um, So I know not everyone has the financial means to buy a cream for $230, but Augustitis Botter, I find Mm. is a game game changer. My skin, it's never looked better. It's amazing for even, you know, one application, you know, uh, for a model I do. And on me, I use it every single day and I've noticed a giant, giant change in my skin. And, I and use do you it, use the rich version or the, uh, the lighter the one? I use the rich because okay. I have very dry skin. And, you know, I use my eye cream, you know, Jones Road eye cream. And I use, um, you know, my, uh, the tinted moisture balms, three or four different colors, depending on the mood. I use our, my other moisturizers. I use my oil stick. Um, but once a day, I use the, 
the, the water and it ha- whatever's in it, whatever that, I don't even know what it's called, C8 something something, it's incredible. And I got to meet the professor, you know, and the story behind it is, you know, I'm sure some people don't even understand, is, is this, this um, scientist that was discovered this certain thing in the lab that was helping burn victims. And, but he noticed the burn victims' lines were disappearing. So he made it into, you know, someone begged him to make it into a cream. And that person became the CEO of, of Botter. So I am a huge fan. Wow. I sent it to my mom as well. I got a few sent to mm-hmm. me. And um, I like, you know, I like to see how things work on, on different skin yeah. types and ages. And my mom is uh, crazy about it yeah. as well. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's and I know uh, my clients yeah. love it too. I will say the the I did a film in Greece this summer, and I mm-hmm. I, I bought I brought the the rich cream, mm-hmm. and I didn't need that much. It was too emollient for like right. be, shooting outdoors in sure. ninety degrees. It, you know, I wished I had the other one, but um, right. you know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, when, um, I'm, when I'm in, in the studio in the lights, you know, on, on myself it'll work, but on you know normal skin it would be too heavy. Right. Um, and then, so the, the newer one was your eye cream and anything else you wanted to mention? Well, I would say, you know, out of, I mean, honestly, it's the Miracle Balm. I, I, I okay. day doesn't go by where I don't put the Miracle Balm on and just look in the mirror and say the most important words to say to yourself after putting makeup on, I look better. <laughs> it's mm. like you put it on, you're like, all right, I look better. Cause that's why I wear makeup by the way. I, you know, so I could look better. And, you know, my hashtag, which is, you know, upset some people, but other people think it's funny, but our hashtag is how not to look like shit. Hmm. And uh, that's why I wear makeup. Yeah. Sometimes it's the most powerful is when you really need it, like jet lagged, hungover. I shaved my eyebrow off this week. <laughs> you know, oh, in those no. moments you need like, Yeah. It's on my Instagram. Um, it was it Yikes. was a dramatic moment, but um, you know what? I'm probably going to improve my brow game as an artist. So uh-huh. there you go. Exactly. I have two products to add to that list. One of sure. them is Bobby Brown Eyeshadow in Camel. It is a okay. beautiful shade. It reminds me of like almost like a really rich um, wool coat. You know, like a Burberry mm-hmm. coat. And uh-huh. I really like it on women of color because sometimes mm-hmm. when you go and you want to use a taupe and it, a taupes can be tricky and look, oh, yeah. it'll look, it'll look pasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I use that to add yes. depth and right. it just melts into the skin. So mm-hmm. that to me, I always have on hand. And then my new product that I'm going to recommend is the Jones road, the face pencil. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, you guys sent them to me in a bunch of colors and I love yeah. it because I love the dry texture of it, that if you have a blemish or you want to put it somewhere where it's really going to lay down and stay put, I think mm-hmm. it's a really easy to use. And, um, and, and it doesn't have like it in a good way. It almost doesn't have a finish. It just like looks like skin. Well, it's got and a so clear base. So because it has a clear base, like it doesn't look pasty on the skin and it's not, I wouldn't describe it as dry. It's dense. So a little, it covers really well, but it on smooth skin, it's so easy to blend. I use it as a foundation often, but if your skin wow. is dry, you, you could use it all over your face as, you know, uh, make your own foundation with it over a moisturizer. You're right. It's not dry. It's just more that it stays put. Yeah, it does stay put. It's not um, too slick. What advice would you have for an aspiring entrepreneur today? Well, just realize what you are in for. And by the way, not everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur no, no. has an, to... an aspiring entrepreneur, I okay, would say. Okay, yeah, right. But I was, so I'm saying not everyone is meant to do that. You know, people think they do, but then, it, 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 it you know, if it's too hot, get out of the kitchen. Not everyone mm. has what it takes because you have to be relentless. You have to be focused. You have to be driven. You have to be hardworking. And you also have to have a reason for being. Not Your reason for being isn't that you want to be an entrepreneur. You need a reason for being. Hmm. And what would you say if you don't have a lot of money? 
uh, starts small. I mean, I, you know, you could, you can go buy, uh, there's plenty of labs out there and you can go do, you know, go pick a pencil and, you know, order a hundred of them and sell them on Etsy or on your Instagram. And then if people like them, then go order 200 next time. Like just have that mentality. Mm-hmm. And that's one way. To and you start still believe in the American dream. Sure. Do you think it's possible still? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think anything is possible, Quinn. Yeah, I get, um, I, I, I don't know if it's the pre-wiring or what, but like, let's say I have, I think of things that I could do business ideas. Uh, like I know I could come out with an amazing shade range of foundations, you know, mm-hmm. like that. I know I could do an edit that would be really good, but then I'm like, I'd be competing with, you know, the Kardashians, with the Jenners, with L'Oreal, with all these things. And I think, well, it doesn't always matter that you have the best idea because you also need um, everything else. And so then I get in my own way. Well, you get in your own way. Yes. Because why do you think you should, why do you think you even could compete with L'Oreal or the Kardashians? You can't. Well, I'm just worried no one would see what I'm selling, you know? Well, your audience would, and then your job would be to grow your audience, you know, but you should, but you're, you're putting the cart before the horse. If it's something you think you could do, well, go do it. And you can always decide not to launch it, you know, go develop it, go see if you really believe it's better. If you really believe it's better than anyone else's, then you've got to go find your friends or makeup artist and see if they believe it's better. That's called right. a focus group. And then you launch it. Yeah. I See, that's why I did this podcast, because I do think that people like you and everybody else who's successful that I have interviewed, I truly believe that they have like skills and a mind frame that allows them to be successful, that there are commonalities in the, in it and that people can learn from it. Like myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want you to be my um, business coach. How about mm-hmm. that? My, my advice uh, is just do it. Okay. You're okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you could go back in time and meet yourself anywhere, where would it be? And what would you say? Uh, I mean, I probably would start again being a mom, having children, because that was my happiest time, but it was also my busiest time. I might just tell myself to try to be more in the moment and try not to be so perfect. Everything doesn't have to be clean all the time. Mm. And probably tell myself to play more. Hmm. I like that. Okay, let's play a quick game. Uh, Here we go. What's the best thing about New Jersey? It's not New York. (laughs) What's the worst thing about New Jersey? Uh, That it doesn't have um, tropical beaches. What is your favorite hotel other than your own? I like the Soho House. Okay. uh, Any of them? Any of them. Or do you have a favorite? Okay. My favorite is, is at the Soho Farmhouse. Oh, okay. That's in the UK? Yes. No, I want to go there. Um, what's your favorite scent? Just out of the shower. What's your least favorite scent? Bad breath. <laughs> I agree. Um, what's your favorite special occasion restaurant? Uh... I would say RL, Ralph Lauren. Okay, where is that? Oh, Ralph yeah, Lauren, Ralph the Polo yeah. Yeah. in oh. the city. Yeah. I just went for the first time and it was amazing. Yeah, delicious and amazing. And beautiful and such a scene. It's like you definitely feel scene. like you're in a, mo- in a moment going there. Yes. But you can't get in. I was with a client, so we got uh-huh. in. But yeah. otherwise, yeah. Um, what's your favorite no occasion restaurant? No occasion restaurant. Um, I like, uh, I like Balthazar. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's your favorite place to unwind? My bedroom. 
Favorite foreign international city? Paris. Product you wish you created that you didn't? Chanel number five. Product you did create that you wish you hadn't? <laughs> um, product I wish I hadn't. I don't know. I don't really, you know, color options, which was a range mm-hmm. I did years ago that made no sense. <laughs> okay. Um, question that you hope you never get asked again. What was it like being at Bobby Brown Cosmetics? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think okay. I asked you about that for about yeah, 45 about, minutes. Yeah. Um, I found it personally fascinating though, oh. if that, if that helps, um, question you're wanting for someone to ask you. Hmm. I don't know. Everyone's asked me so many questions. I don't think I have an answer for that one. Okay. Well, that's a good point to um, wrap up the interview. I feel like you have a hundred masterclasses in you that so many people listening are going to be inspired by and hearing um, your journey and your philosophy. And I know I'm going to have in the back of my mind, what would Bobby do? (laughs) You know, when, when things come up, because I think there's your practical, you're also um, think outside the box and you have a vision and stay to it. And I find that inspiring. I want to thank thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad it finally worked out. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope you keep in touch. All right. Same here. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. 